You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This is an Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program podcast in collaboration with the Education Hub at the Royal Children's Hospital. Hi, my name's Sarah Temby and I'm an Allied Health Educator in the Royal Children's Hospital Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program and I'm also a Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. Today we have Tanya Ramos who's a clinical nurse educator from the Allied Health and Nursing Education Outreach Program. Tanya is also a clinical nurse specialist at the recovery unit at RCH with over 20 years experience in paediatric recovery care. Today we'll be discussing emergence delirium. Welcome Tanya. Thanks Sarah, it's so good to be here. So let's start with explaining what emergence delirium is. Sure. Emergence delirium is something actually that's quite common in children, um, awakening from their anaesthetic. It's actually defined as a dissociated state of consciousness. When a child wakes up after they've had an anaesthetic or an operation and they're inconsolable, they're irritable, they're thrashing, they're uncompromising, not cooperating, they're typically crying, moaning, and they appear quite incoherent and very agitated. And typically they have their eyes closed. They don't recognize anyone or anything that's familiar to them. And the literature tells us that roughly between 10 to 80% of children will experience emergence delirium if they have an anaesthetic. But our quarterly audits here at RCH actually shows us that our delirium rates are actually under 1%, which is really great. Okay. And what age is common for children to experience emergence delirium? It's actually pretty common in the preschool age children, uh, specifically sort of around the two to five um, year olds. That's when it's most common. But we can also see children experience it who are a little bit older than that. Okay. And what factors predispose children to emergence delirium? Sure, there are various factors actually that could give you an increased incidence of children experience experiencing emergence delirium. One of the most common ones is actually uh, rapid awakening after they've had anaesthetic and surgery. That's probably one of the biggest ones. The use of short-acting volatile anaesthetics such as sevoflurane. We briefly mentioned about having um, young children being a sort of a predisposing factor. Mm -hmm. There are different types of surgery which have high incidence of emergence delirium such as squint surgery, so eye corrective surgery. Mm head and neck surgery, particular sort of children undergoing tonsils and adenoidectomy, as well as grommets to clear out any blockages in the ear. Mm. We know that some of the literature actually also talks about children who are anxious preoperatively. They have a higher incidence as well as it could be due to the temperament of the child. So there are some studies that suggest that children who are a little bit more emotional or impulsive, maybe less social, and adaptable to change might have a higher incidence. But to me, this sounds like every child really could be at risk of having emergence delirium because that's, you know, any child. Yeah, right. Okay. So that's really interesting. And this sounds like it could be a little bit scary for children. Do they have any recollection that this has happened? Yeah, it actually is a little bit more scary for the parents if they're in attendance when the child is waking up from the anaesthetic when they see that, they they really don't expect it to be. Maybe the anaesthetists have said to them, oh, your child might wake up a little bit agitated when they've had their anaesthetic, when they're coming out into recovery. So seeing that can be quite shocking sometimes to the parents. They haven't put two and two together. This is part of maybe a normal agitation. Definitely. Um, in fact, 
very few children actually remember having emergence delirium. And what happens is that some children will all of a sudden be in the, the middle of this delirious state. So they're kicking, they're thrashing, they're moaning, they're crying. And all of a sudden the lights are on and their eyes open up and they say, oh, could I have a drink? Or, oh, hi, mummy. And it sort of takes everyone by surprise. Mm -hmm. So it, it, you can go from zero basically to 100 to zero being nice and calm quite quickly. Wow. And how do you manage that in the recovery room? So... We're really lucky at RCH that we've got a really good, robust policy that actually walks us both through the nursing interventions as well as the medical interventions. So I guess if I talk firstly about the nursing, patient safety is really the priority because if you've got a child that's kicking, thrashing, crying, they really have this superhuman almost strength, mm. your priority is going to be trying for that child not to actually hurt themselves, to be a danger to themselves or to others, such as the staff or the parents. So what we try and do in this time, if the child's really delirious and really agitated, we place secure pillows and mattresses around them so that they we prevent them from further injury. If we can't actually control them physically on a trolley or bed, we actually try and lower it as much as we possibly can. And some children with extra support of staff, we would try and actually put them on the floor with mattresses on the floor so they can roll around. Obviously, at this time, we're going to try to be calling the anaesthetist to get extra help and go through that pharmacological route of intervening. But as a nurse, what we're trying to do is actually try and exclude all other factors. So is this behavior normal for the child? Is it emergence delirium? Are they hungry? Are they scared? Are they having a nightmare? Is it separation anxiety? Is it hypoxia? So we try to exclude all the other causes as well. And throughout this time, we are providing constant verbal reorientation to the child. So what we're trying to say is, for example, hi, Billy, it's okay. Mummy's here. You're just waking up. Your operation's all finished. Everything's going to be okay. Can you open your eyes? Because sometimes the children hear you very far away and all of a sudden as they are emerging from that delirium, they can sort of become conscious again and hear mm. and understand you. Um, so that's how we would manage it in terms of the nursing management. Okay, so I understand the nursing management. Um, you mentioned very briefly that there might be a bit of a medical management side to it. Are there any medications that can be used to treat this? Uh, yes, so at RCH, once the recovery nurse actually escalates this to the anaesthetist so that their patient is actually experiencing emergence delirium, and it's not self-limiting, so not stopping sort of within five to ten minutes, which is when we would be trying to expect that it will be easing at least. The anaesthetist comes to recovery, whether it's uh, the anaesthetist treating the patient or maybe a colleague or the in-charge anaesthetist. And what they do is they assess the patient and they've got, according to our policy, they've got a couple of options that they can use. So for severe cases of delirium where the child's incontrollable, you know, thrashing, kicking, again, moaning, crying, just absolutely beside themselves, they will require pretty much full sedation. So basically we're going to re-anesthetize the child. So they will get a, a nice generous dose of propofol which will render them unconscious. If the child stops breathing, then we will provide appropriate support for the patient. And the aim of that is to actually stop it completely and restart the waking up process again. So those are for the severe cases. And we might see on average at RCH, maybe one of those a month, maybe less. Wow. You know, considering that we do 15,000 anesthetics a year, that's not very many. Yeah. 
There are other options that anaesthetists have, and these include things like fentanyl, which is a short-acting opiate, which can be used to treat pain and emergence delirium, and clonidine, which is sort of acts as a sedative. And again, the whole aim is to sort of try and cool the brain down, make the child a bit sleepy and drowsy to sort of try and reconnect the body and the brain together and get the kids to wake up again properly without that being in that delirious state. All right. So when that child is in delirium in recovery, does that increase their length of stay in hospital? So typically this means that um, they will spend more time actually in the recovery room Mm. because if we're going to have to put them off to sleep again, we're starting that whole waking up process again. So instead of, say, potentially being in recovery, you know, 20 minutes to 40 minutes, they might be there for an hour or a little bit longer depending on what we've used to treat the delirium for and if we've had to completely make that child unconscious again to then wake them up. So it does increase the time in recovery, but not necessarily the time in hospital. So once the child is stable and has roused and is settled, then we should be able to then discharge them to the day of surgery, whether they can go home from there or up to the ward. Ideally, we wouldn't want to send anyone to the ward or day centre who are in a delirious state. Mm. I'm guessing it would be stressful for the parent or caregiver to see their child in emergence delirium. What supports are available to the parent or the caregiver? Yes, so it's really important that we support the parents because a lot of the times when the parents see the children behave in that way, they feel embarrassed, they feel angry because they think, oh, if they don't understand that this is emergence delirium, they think that their child's throwing a tantrum or really being really naughty. So it's really important actually as a nurse to say to the parents, it's okay they're not doing this deliberately, this will pass. They'll either stop by themselves or we can help give them something to settle down, you know, in a moment. So providing that reassurance to the parents as much as we are providing it to the children is actually equally important. We have to give the opportunity to the parents as well if they are present in the units, give them the opportunity to say, if this is too much, if you're finding this too distressful, your child won't remember it, but you will. You do have the opportunities to step out of the room. In my 20 years of nursing, I've only had one mum take me up on that offer. So usually parents want to stay there for the whole time. And then they're actually quite surprised once the child does wake up and emerge from their delirium. They're like, I can't believe that just happened and that they went from being, you know, in parents' term, wild and crazy (laughs) to all of a sudden they're back to their normal self having an icy pole. We also would be providing the parents with an education fact sheet that we do have and that's accessible to parents and clinicians through our uh, parents' info fact sheets. And basically we talk about in this fact sheet about common questions that families might have, like will this happen every time they have an anaesthetic? Will they remember this? Is this the same as being agitated? So we try and answer all those questions and it's a great resource that You know, it doesn't have to be reinvented. And if you're a clinician listening to this at, you know, another site around the state, you can easily access it and adapt it to make it your own because it's really important that we share this information with the families. So that's some great tips for looking after the parents and the caregivers. Thanks. Is there something that can be done to prevent emergence delirium from occurring again? Yes, and actually this um, sort of is a good segue to our information fact sheet. So one of the things that we can do to prevent from this happening again is firstly educate the families by giving them that fact sheet. Mm. Because say they presented here, but then they need to go back to 
their own regional hospital to have another anaesthetic, if they say to the anaesthetist in their pre-op consult at the next time, hi, you know, my child last time had emergency delirium and the, you know, the recovery nurses or the anaesthetist gave me this information fact sheet. Actually, this helps the other anaesthetists provide better care for the child mm. or more informed care. And what they can do is actually change their anaesthetic technique. So some of the things that we can do to prevent emergence delirium are giving children pre-medication. So they might get midazolam or clonidine, which makes them a little bit more sleepier. It takes them a little while to wake up in recovery. Those children wake up on their own. So then they don't have a higher incidence of having delirium. Mm. Some anaesthetists will say, wow, if they've had really bad emergence delirium before, they'll use an anaesthetic technique called TIVA, which means total intravenous anesthesia, where they just run them on propofol the whole time and they're quite sleepy when they come out into recovery. And again, the key for the recovery nurse, knowing that the child's had emergence to delirium, is to let them sleep, let them wake up on their own. And then alternatively, other anaesthetists, what they'll do is they'll use their normal anaesthetic technique, whatever it is that they prefer, so gases with propofol. But what they'll do is at the end of the case or come drawing to the end of the procedure or the surgery, they'll give them either a tiny bit of clonidine or some propofol or even some midazolam with the hope that that's going to the delay the awakening of the child. When they do this, they do take a lot longer to wake up in recovery, but they wake up much happier and much better. Mm. Thank you so much, Chan. That's some really interesting information and insights into emergence delirium. What would be your three key take-home messages? I think handy tips would be the first of all is actually getting the parents in early into recovery. Obviously, when the child is, you know, the airway is stable, but getting the parents in early because parents are such an amazing resource in getting you to demystify that child that you don't know. There, we're the experts in airway, breathing, and circulation, and pain management, and nausea and vomiting in recovery. But the parents actually the expert in their child. They know their behaviour. I know once I've been caught out thinking the child's had emergence delirium, and Mum said, "Oh no, that's just how he wakes up every morning," <laughs> and he literally was. Within two minutes, awake, you know, chit-chatting and doing fantastic. Yeah. But had I not known, had I not had mum present with mm. me, I would have assumed he had emergence delirium and perhaps proceeded to maybe pharmacologically intervene or get an unnecessary review f- from a doctor. Mm. So I think early parental presence is super, super important. They will help you decipher, are they hungry? You know, is it a hunger cry? Is it a I'm grumpy cry? Is it because the, the parent's not there? And some children, if they don't see their parents, they'll open their eyes, close their eyes, and then literally will continue to cry until they're reunited with their parents. Mm-hmm. So early parental presence is vital in the recovery room. My other really important tip is actually Patient safety is one of the most important things because the child is in such a state of agitation. And as I said to you briefly before, they literally look like little hulks. They're sort of, they're just, you know, trying to rip everything off and they're angry. And it's just, it's quite um, an excitable stage Mm. that I've caught many children trying to jump off the, you know, the trolley and, you know, it's really important that we provide that safety for the yeah. kids because kids are so mobile and so, so quick and so flexible. And they'll get even if you have, you know, if they're on the trolley, they'll try and get through the little nooks and crannies of the trolley and they might actually come out. So getting extra support early is really important to make sure that that patient is safe yep. by putting mattresses, pillows, all those things around. And I guess the more delirium, obviously, that you see, the more of an expert that you become at it. But knowing what your nursing interventions are, 
is really important. So verbal reorientation, offering, you know, dummies and bottles and all those sorts of things, because it might be that the child's just crying because they can't find their dummy. Mm. So that's really important. But then also knowing when to intervene is equally as important. So the patient hasn't settled within five or 10 minutes, then I know I need to go and get an anaesthetist. And perhaps we are going to go down that pharmacological route. Because, you know, if a child's had a big procedure, we don't want to have an increased risk of them having bleeding, or, you know, them tearing out their IV, and then they're going to have to have unnecessary medical procedures. Again, it's going to be quite difficult trying to hold down a two or three year old and put an IV out because they've just pulled it out. So securing that IV is really, really important. Um, Yeah, and those are my sort of hot tips, I guess, (laughs) for managing emergence delirium in the recovery room. Thank you so much, Tanya, for discussing with us emergence delirium. It's been really interesting. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Please view the description section below for more information on this topic. The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.